Welcome to Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situations, or needs. All right, Shawnee, today we are going to do an episode on thematic ETFs, which we briefly mentioned during our last episode. So, Shawnee, you describe my views on thematic ETFs as a rant. So, you must be particularly excited about today's episode. Yeah, I really think we'll shouldn't have set up my mic, just turned it off. Not going to have much to add, to be honest. So I just speak for 15 minutes and then <laughs> yeah. this thing is done? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Well, I'm sure nobody would want to hear that. So uh, so hopefully we can have a little dialogue today. But uh, why don't we do a quick summary of the previous episode? And as I said, we briefly touched on thematic ETFs, but most of that episode was a discussion of your bowling technique. Um, so... We talked about a couple other things. What what else was that? Yeah, so we did talk about um, both of those things, but maybe I'll focus on the actual point of the episode. So in summary, we said that once something is widely known and accepted by investors, it is generally too late to profit from that theme. And the other thing we talked about is that what drives stock returns is not how a particular sector or company does on an absolute basis, but instead how the actual performance compares to investor expectations. Right. That's, uh, that's right, Shani. So this is where thematic ETFs came up during that episode, and I expressed my dislike of them. Um, but uh, but yeah, so today, why don't we start with talking a little bit about the investment industry. And the business model for fund managers and ETF providers is really pretty simple. Since a percentage of total assets is charged as a fee, the more assets that the fund or ETF attracts, the better it is for the company. Yeah, and ETFs are pretty easy to set up by ETF providers, especially when comparing it to funds. Uh, ETFs are marketed directly to investors, and much of that marketing involves talking about performance, and that is because investors chase performance. Yeah, and as we mentioned, I think you gave this definition. So as we mentioned in the previous episode, a thematic ETF covers a very narrow part of the market, and they're designed to take advantage of a narrative that resonates with investors. And this notion of a compelling narrative being used to sell an investment is nothing new. From the South Sea bubble on, we've seen similar types of behavior. And as I said, ETFs are pretty easy to set up and thematic ETFs are really popular with ETF providers because they're easy to market. They attract investor money and the fees are generally higher than an ETF that follows a broad market index. So this is another case where an investment vehicle, ETFs, that have been a pretty positive, um, have been pretty positive for investors. They have low fees. They're easy to access. A situation has been created where products can be created to have a detrimental impact on investors. Okay, and we'll get into the specifics on thematic ETFs, but I think first it's important to look at what needs to happen for thematic ETF to be a good investment. So let's logically walk through this and we'll try what it takes to turn a theme into a profitable investment. So what are the elements we're looking for here, Shani? Yeah, so first off, the specific theme needs to unfold as expected. Second, the companies in the ETF need to be able to profit from the growth of the theme. And third, the profits that the company makes needs to translate into attractive stock returns. So let's break down each of those elements. So as you know, Shani, I love history, and I love it because of the parallels and lessons it provides to the present. That's and, deep, mate. Uh, okay, thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, and this couldn't be more true than in investing. So I think it's very, very relevant to investing. So my interest in history is also what drives my hatred of thematic ETFs. Hatred is a really strong word, so <laughs> why hatred? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, and you know this, obviously, from my previous 
quote unquote rants. Um, I think it's just an example of investors getting taken advantage of. But anyway, let's talk history. So, Shani, what do railroads, the telegraph, and fiber optic tables, cables have in common? I walked past your computer the other day and you were reading about railroads. So, is this why you were reading about railroads? It was. You're a pretty exciting man, Mark. This coming from someone who literally told me yesterday that to reduce stress, you watch videos of railroads, of trains. Of trains, yeah, like trains going through St. Moritz and, you know, the snow and they go for like three or four hours and it's very calming. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you watch videos of railroads and also you're calling me exciting coming from somebody who loves Harry Potter. I do. You had a Nimbus 2000 replica, so not like an actual flying broom when you were a kid. I did. I was a child. You were a child. Do you have any Harry Potter stuff right now? I do. Do you want me just to answer what it is? Because I know... I mean, that's more than one thing. There's quite a few things. So. Oh, I, what else do you have besides the slippers? Oh, I do have slippers. I have a like not a robe as in like a cloak, but one to keep me warm. <laughs> But it's Harry Potter themed. Yeah. But it doesn't make you invisible. No. No. That's good, mate. I didn't think you knew what that what Harry Potter was. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to see that robe. But uh but anyway, <laughs> back to the episode. So what railroads, the telegraph, and fiber optic cables all have in common is that they revolutionized the world and changed the way business and society functioned. And all were terrible investments. But they did lead to industries that turned out to be great investments. So let's start with the telegraph. So between 1846 and 1852, the number of telegraph miles in the U.S. rose tenfold. But all the startups that drove this construction created telegraph networks that eventually became redundant. They're also plagued with floods, weather-related disruptions, and all this impacted service. And this brutal competition and excess capacity led to most of these startup telegraph companies just going out of business. But this new technology enabled other businesses that became giants. So in the U.S., it led to the golden age of newspapers, and that's when they could transmit stories from across the country and eventually around the world and publish them. It led to the creation of Western Union which people started using to send money. And it also led to increased interest in the stock market as stock prices could be transmitted across countries. Let's move on to railroads, your favorite favorite thing. So pretty similar story. And this occurred in both the US and the UK. In both countries, private companies built giant and overlapping rail networks. In both cases, there was intense competition that led to reduced rates for shippers and terrible outcomes for investors. In the U.S., the railroad crash happened in 1894 when a quarter of railroad companies went out of business. But the tracks, of course, didn't go away. And with really, really cheap rates, mail order retailers like Montgomery Ward and Sears started up and they could ship their goods over the rails. And also consumer product companies like Procter & Gamble and Coca-Cola built national businesses. Was that like a walk down memory lane, Mark? (laughs) It it was. It was. Technologies that sort of made a change during your lifetime. Yes, Shawnee. I remember the telegraph crash very fondly. <laughs> um, so maybe I'll handle fiber optic cable since that happened in mine. But during the 90s, companies like Global Crossing and Worldcom, they invested $30 billion building out 90 million miles of fiber optic cable. 
In 2001, as the bubble burst, it was estimated that just 5% of this network was being used. So investors in these companies lost all of their money. But much like the railroads, this infrastructure was in place and cheap, which helped companies like Google and YouTube and Facebook who created business models that relied on delivering content over these networks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think these are all examples of themes that did not exactly play out how people thought they would. And I'll be frank here, the hype around these themes made them terrible investments. This is very similar to our episode on Buy Now, Pay Later, when we talked about the impact of competition on companies that don't have moats or sustainable competitive advantages. In the telegraph, the railroads, and fiber optic cables, it turned out that one was just as good as the other. So when you combine this fact with massive hype and the resulting massive amounts of capital, you have these gluts that eventually benefited the user of these networks, but not the investors in them. And Mark, I think this that is where we get to our second point. Do the ETFs contain companies that will profit from the theme? Well, if there was an ETF based on the railroad mania theme, it would have contained railroad companies and not emerging retailers and consumer goods companies. And as investors, we need to remember something important. We don't know who is going to benefit from new technologies. Sometimes it's the companies ushering in the technology. Sometimes it's end consumers. Sometimes it's suppliers of those companies. And sometimes it's ancillary companies that use the technology technology to enable their businesses. Okay. So let's move on to that third element. We need, and remember that we need the stock prices of the companies in the ETF to do well to make this a successful investment. So this is where we once again have to reflect back on our previous episode. We made a couple points there. One is that valuation levels matter, and valuation levels are based in no small measure on investing hype. Once an ETF gets created, the theme and the companies that are part of it probably have really high expectations. Those expectations and their ability to meet them will drive future investor returns. So now, once again, we're going to have an ad, Shani. It's the same ad. It's the same ad. But it was exciting when we had an ad before. It was so, really exciting. It yeah. was another voice exactly. on the podcast. Exactly. Something better than mine. My <laughs> voice was described by somebody in a survey as horribly annoying American accent. And the fact that somebody took the time to write that. He also called you Mark Lamond. So he didn't even go to the extent of learning your name. But. I know. He probably couldn't understand it through my horribly annoying American accent. But anyway, let's go to someone else and we'll go for this ad. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our top picks across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSite's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. So just as quick as these thematic ETFs can pop up, they can also disappear. And the lack of durability of these ETFs has a lot to do with investor results. Our team of research analysts took a look at the data and found that thematic ETFs in the US have had really low survivorship rates. 94% of thematic funds made it through their first year, but less than 15% managed to make it for 15 years or more. Internet funds, of course, dominated the 90s, and then there was a shift to water conservation and clean energy investment between 2005 and 2008. This is all before the explosion in popularity recently. 
Yeah, and if we change our focus to Australia, we saw similar things with technology-based funds in the late 90s and then mining funds that terminated at the end of the mining boom. So, Shani, why don't we spend some time looking at a couple of these ETFs and walking through them to see some of the pitfalls? So during our last episode, we talked about ACDC, mostly about me going to ACDC concerts, but still – why don't we start with that ETF? Yeah, so um, the ETF with the ticker symbol ACDC is the Battery Tech and Lithium ETF. And according to the website, it offers investors exposure to the energy storage and production megatrend, including companies involved in the supply chain and production for battery technology and lithium mining. Demand for energy storage is being driven by the movement towards emissions reduction and renewable energy. So there we go, a powerful narrative, right? So we're tapping into climate change and electric vehicles. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? And we see this ETF all over the investing message boards that we follow. And, you know, personally, I'm convinced. I'm ready to move 100% (laughs) of my portfolio into this ETF. But some of our listeners may be more cautious. So why don't you tell them a little bit more about it? Okay. Well, the performance has been great. Since inception, it's up 25.61% per annum. Of course, inception was in August of 2018, so it's less than three years old. All right. Well, I think I should figure out how to get a margin account because I want to put a little leverage into this position. (laughs) Yeah. So the ETF tracks the Selective Battery Value Chain Index, um, and that's not exactly the S&P 500, but the index is made up of 31 securities and it's made up of companies that are energy storage providers. So basically, battery makers and then separately lithium miners, which is a key raw material in batteries. It's an equal weighted index that is rebalanced semi-annually. Okay. So let's just say this is a bit of a Frankenstein of an index. They're stitching together all sorts of different things to make this monster. But Tell me a little bit more about this index. Do we have valuation figures for it? Yeah. So according to the ETF's website, there is no price to earnings available since collectively the companies don't actually make any money. Okay. Well, I guess making money is quite an antiquated concept, right? So this is different, right? This is about investing your values and battery technology is great for the environment and will help out with climate change. Well, I looked up the Morningstar sustainability score for this ETF and it gets one globe. Our sustainability ratings look at the underlying companies in the ETF and rates them across environmental, social and governance governance factors with a top score of five globes. Okay, so one globe's really bad. Yeah, it is. So (laughs) in this case, of the 6,940 funds and ETFs that we're comparing it to, 99% of them have a score higher in our sustainability rating. Okay, so how is this possible? What What's in this thing? Yeah, well, the holdings are a mix of different sectors, and most of which don't have great track records when it comes to ESG. About 20% of the fund is in basic materials, which makes sense because they're miners. Over 40% is in industrials, which also doesn't have a great track record when it comes to carbon footprints. Only around 15% of the holdings are in the technology sector, with the rest made up of consumer cyclical companies. All right, so, so let's go into some individual holdings, because when you first describe this, and I decided to put all of my money into it, I thought there would be a bunch of cutting-edge battery companies that are researching new technology. Yeah. So as I said before, the index is equal-weighted, but it's only rebalanced twice a year. So there is, of course, um, plenty of time for the allocations to deviate from being equal-weighted. Looking at the website right now, the top holding is something called EOS Energy Enterprises, which is a company that trades in the US and makes battery storage solutions for the electric industry. It makes up over 4% 
percent of the fund and is currently not profitable and trading at a price to sales ratio of two thousand and fifty one. If we look at the rest of the top holdings, we start to see some more familiar names, including BMW, Daimler, which is Mercedes Benz's parent company, Rolls Royce, and Samsung. Okay, so this holding list is a good example of how many of these thematic ETFs don't actually provide very good access to the themes they're promoting. So companies are included in the index that may only derive a small portion of their revenue from the thematic. So this is certainly the case um, as we look at Daimler sold over 2.5 million cars in 2020, and only 160,000 of them were electric. Same can be said about BMW and Samsung and Rolls-Royce. They all generate most of their revenue from sources that don't fit the thematic. And the issue here is the selection criteria. They select energy storage providers that have a project that is generating the energy capacity of one megawatt hour. One megawatt hour is enough energy to power 330 homes for one hour. I'm certainly not an expert on power generation, but that doesn't seem like a very high hurdle rate when we're talking about companies like Samsung, which has sales of close to $71 billion in 2020. All right. So how much do we get to pay to have the privilege of investing in this ETF? <laughs> we get to pay an annual fee of 0.69%. And this compares to a fee for the Vanguard Miski Index International Shares ETF, which is VGS, of 0.18%. Okay. So we've obviously taken a very tongue-in-cheek walkthrough of this ETF, but it's illustrative of a lot of the issues with these thematic ETFs. Number one, they often have extremely short track records and track very customized indices that can be an amalgamation of different parts of the market. This makes it virtually impossible to compare them to any other indices to get any sense of relative performance. And as we just said, many of these ETFs sell a narrative to investors who then end up owning a bunch of companies whose success isn't driven by the success of the narrative. And finally, we have the price. You're paying a lot higher fees to access this product than a wind-ranging passive index. It's also important to note that the ACDC ETF is growing quickly. It has a net investor flow of over $100 million so far this year, which compares to $48 million in all of 2020. And our best guess is that it has attracted investor dollars because it was a top-performing ETF in 2020. And that's a pretty classic example of investors chasing returns. Okay, let's go through one more. And I do have to admit that this one is my favorite. And I know you aren't supposed to have a favorite child, but I think you can have a favorite thematic ETF. And when you say favorite, I'm assuming you mean your least favorite from an investing perspective? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, okay. my favorite, sorry, my favorite to rant about. Um, so this is the FANG Plus ETF with the ticker symbol FANG, of course. You also have to have a cool ticker symbol okay. to be a thematic ETF. If you had a ticker symbol, what would it be? Oh, I have no idea. You'd probably have to answer that one. It would not be good if you came up with it. Yeah, let's um, let's discuss after the podcast. <laughs> yeah, my, my guess is probably OLD, because that's what you say a lot about me. Um, but anyway. Yeah, so um, FANG is quite interesting. It tracks the New York Stock Exchange FANG Plus Index, and that index is made up of FANG-related securities, whatever that means, um, that are selected by a governance committee. The criteria they use is that they look for highly traded growth stocks of technology and tech-enabled companies in the technology, media and communications, and consumer discretionary sector. 
Yeah, so this is the absolute best, and this is why I like it so much. So basically what they are saying is that there is no criteria except for finding very expensive and popular stocks, which means that as an investor who buys a CTF, you get to chase the performance of the ETF, which is then chasing the performance of popular companies. Do you think like the governance committee is going to sit down – like in a month or so and be like, Investing Compass was talking about this. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. But what they've created here is it's the investing equivalent of the invention of crack, right? So you've taken this addictive drug and made it more addictive and easier to access. So you heard it here first. The FANG ETF is the crack of investing. Um, one of the reasons we like ETFs is because they offer the ability to diversify in a single transaction. Um, well, in this case, not so much. There are 10 holdings in this ETF, which are equal weighted and rebalanced quarterly. The 10 holdings are currently NVIDIA, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Tesla, Netflix, Alibaba, Twitter, and Baidu. Yeah, that's like the murderer's row of hyped <laughs> stocks. But uh, yeah, as you can probably imagine, the index is trading at a price-to-earnings ratio of close to 48. The other great thing about this ETF is that because it's rebalanced quarterly – and that's when the best performers are sold and reinvested in the lesser performers. That means as an investor, you get those capital gains distributed to you, which is nice because, of course, you get to pay taxes on them. We love taxes here. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, this ETF started at the immensely fortunate time of February 27th, 2020, which was about three weeks before the market hit a low during the COVID sell-off. And as you would expect, it has performed incredibly well with a return since inception of over 49%. Yeah, and as you would expect, that performance has attracted investor dollars with over $206 million in the CTF in a little over a year. So really good news, Shani. Lots of investors are plowing money into this highly concentrated portfolio of companies that are trading at shockingly high multiples. Yeah, and we could go on for a while, and by we, I mean Mark, but uh, this is a good time to sum up this episode. At Morningstar, we don't believe that thematic ETFs should be a core part of investors' portfolios, and if used at all, they should be used sparingly. Remember that great stories don't necessarily make great investments, and that many of these products are marketing ploys that use widely accepted narratives to entice investor dollars. Okay, so while we could do this for hours, let's uh, let's close this off now. So we learned a lot about you, Shani, a lot about Harry Potter. Um, according to you, this was a day in the life of Shani, me just sitting around ranting all day. Yeah, so we would love to hear feedback, what you think about it would be like to work with me, which apparently involves rants all day. So send any feedback, um, ideas for future episodes to my email address, which is in the podcast notes. The other thing we would love is comments and ratings in your podcast apps. If you go in there and do that. Mark loves validation, sir. I love validation? <laughs> wow. Train Girl is confusing the two of us. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for listening. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.